I love the Bible because the Bible tells us two things. Number one, it tells us how we can get to heaven from here. You need to be concerned about that. In a hundred years from now, all that's going to matter for every one of us, young and old, is where we live. With God in heaven or without him in hell. No one in their right mind wants to go to hell. You say, Pastor, how do you even know there is a hell? Well, honestly, I've never been there before. Never been to heaven. Never been to hell. I've never seen Jesus. But someone opened the Bible to me one day and told me what God said. Jesus believed in hell. He believed and he doesn't want, first of all, know this, that hell wasn't made for us. He doesn't want you to go there. The Bible tells us very clearly, God is not willing that anyone would perish, but that all would come to repentance. Anyone who goes to hell, no one falls into hell. They have to climb over the local church. They have to climb over God's prompting in their heart. They have to climb over the love of Christ who loves us. That was what we talked about this morning in the song. If that isn't love, that God would send his own son. What did Jesus do? He died. Why did he die? So we could live. He was separated from his heavenly father so you and I wouldn't have to be separated from him. When someone dies physically, they don't just disintegrate in front of their loved ones. They don't just go away. No, their body stays and their soul and their spirit leave. There's a separation that separates you from them and them from their body. And that's the first death. And the Bible says it's appointed to every man one time to die. That's going to happen to you one day. It's going to happen to me. But the Bible's very clear that there's a second death. And that means separation from God forever in the lake of fire. That's a place you don't have to go. You want to die one time. If you're 116, you'll want to die, right? One day you want to exit the body God gave you. But you never want to exit life without God. You must have the Lord Jesus Christ. And I love the Bible because it tells me how to get to heaven from here. Number two, it tells me what my purpose is after I know number one. It tells me what I'm supposed to do. It tells me how to be a good husband, how to be a good father, how to be a good neighbor, a friend. It tells me how to be a good Christian. When I come to know Christ, then, he, then Christ changes me. When I came to Jesus, he made me better. And uh, he took my sin, I took his sacrifice, and I'm not perfect, and no one who gets saved is perfect. But we can be made better because Jesus lives within us now. His Holy Spirit lives within us. Now we have his word. In the Bible, the Bible's given to us for those two reasons, how to get to heaven from here. If you say, what's the Bible about? It's about reconciliation. How that sinners like us can be reconciled with a God who's not a sinner. How can we have eternal life? The whole theme of the Bible. Now, it's, it's in two books. It's 66 books in one. The first 39 were written before Jesus came. We call it the Old Testament. The last 27 were written after Jesus went back to heaven. That's the New Testament. But all of it is about Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No man, you'll not be the exception, can spend eternity with God without going through Jesus. This morning, we may have people get baptized, but the waters in the baptistry do not wash away sin. People may want to join the church, and it's good to be a church member, but church cannot give you eternal life. People can say, well, I'm trying to be a good person, and I want to be a good person too. But being good to go to heaven is not possible. Because all of us, we think things, we say things, we do things every day that are sin. 
that are against God's way and his law. And that's why God gave us Jesus. In the Bible, there are many chapters. Chapter 17 of the book of Samuel is one of the 10 longest chapters in our Bible. It's the story of David and Goliath. It's a story of a young man who was anointed by the Lord to be the next king to succeed a guy named Saul. You can read about it in the previous chapters of 1 Samuel 15 and 16. God's people, the Israelite people, were made to be a theocracy. That means that God was going to be their king. But they started looking around and seeing other kingdoms and other countries, and they all had kings, and they said, we want a king too. We don't want to be different. We, people ask us, who's your king? We say, God, we want a king in flesh and blood. And the Lord knew that that would be in their heart. And he gave them a guy named Saul. And Saul was humble in his own eyes. He was out chasing donkeys one day whenever the Lord came to him and said, hey, well, you're going to be a king. He was tall. He was strapping. He was handsome. He was someone that people would say, yeah, he could be a good king. And he was humble in his own sight, but as time goes on, he becomes very presumptuous and prideful. His opinions matter more than God's opinion. Early on, he listened to God, and he responded to the Holy Spirit that was on him. But as time went on, he got callous and apathetic, and he didn't pay attention to what God wanted. And the Bible gives him this statement. He said, look. He said, well, I'm, I'm doing all these good things. He said, listen, Saul, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to listen to me, to hearken than the fat of rams. Well, I'm going to church. I'm giving all these sacrifices. I'm killing these animals. And I'm doing all this for you. He says, look, I just want you to obey me. I want you to listen to me. Boy, so many folks are trying to impress and say, well, I, we pat our conscience. Well, I'm doing this. I'm giving this. I'm, I'm sharing this. I'm doing this so that I can, I'm okay with God. God wants obedience. And he wants us to listen to him. And he says, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is like idolatry. He gave those words to Saul. And Saul, rather than responding in humility and repentance, he got angry and frustrated. He said, okay, I've done some things wrong, but don't get serious. Don't get crazy about it. Honor me now. Don't take away the kingdom. And God says, I've got to put a fork in you. It's over. You're no longer going to be the king. You've crossed the line. You've continued to callous your heart and, and spurn my, my promptings on your heart. No, you're not going to be the king. And then God said, I'm going to find a guy who has my heart, who is a man after my own heart. And he sent Samuel to a man named Jesse. Jesse was an older, a very somewhat of a popular man in Israel, it seems to me. He had eight sons. Seven of them are mentioned in the Scripture. Eliab, Abinadab, and Shemaiah, Shammah were, were his three oldest boys. And, and God said to the, his prophet, he said, Samuel, go over there, and one of those boys are going to be the next king, and I'll tell you who it is when you get there. He went over there, and he began going through each of the boys, and he saw the oldest boy, and Eliab, he said, yeah, I can see, this is the guy. God, you want him? And he says, no. Oh, okay. Well, how about Abinadab? Now, this, he's not as strong, maybe as... as Outwardly, he says, look, stop looking on the outward. I see on the heart. He said, you're looking at the outward. I'm looking at something a lot deeper. I want a man after my own heart. 
They went through there, and all the boys were gone through, and he said, hey, Dad, you got any more kids? Because God's telling me no to all of these. He said, well, I do have one kid, a teenager out on the shepherd fields. He said, we're not going to sit down until you go bring him. They went and got him, and when he came in, the Bible said that he was of a fair complexion. He was, had a ruddy complexion, probably red hair. Um, he, he was somebody who was a teenager, but he was certainly very responsible. And he had learned to play an instrument. The Bible calls it a harp, but it was probably more like a guitar or a lute. Something to be portable that he could run around out in the shepherd fields and watch the sheep and, and play the guitar. He was a guy who spent a lot of time alone with the Lord. And he did capture the heart of God. He understood how God thought and how he felt and what he wanted. It was something he, he was the one who wrote, the Lord is my, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He's the one who wrote, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. All ye serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye the Lord, he is God. It's he that's made us, not we ourselves. Now, we're his sheep and the, and the, and the sheep of his pasture. He tells us how to love God, how to think about God. Well, he comes, and the Lord says, that's my guy. That day, Samuel poured oil over his head and anointed him as king. It would be the first of about three times that that would happen to him. And then after it was over with, his assignment was over, he went out and watched sheep. And then he would come in, and Saul now has, he's miserable. He does not have the presence of God upon his life. And by the way, you stop listening to God, and you stop hearing God, and you do your own things, and, and go over the prompting of the Holy Spirit of God, you'll get miserable too. He was miserable. And people saw that he was miserable. People who served with him said, man, we've got to do something for the king. He's out of control. He's frustrated. He's aggravated. He gets mad easy. He can't even sleep at night. What can we do? He said, well, find a guy that can play music, and we'll have him play music while he's, when he's in a foul mood. And, and they said, do you know anybody like that? I said, yeah, there's a kid, Jesse's youngest boy. I heard him play the guitar. He's unbelievable. Get him in here. So he came in and started playing. He played in the very palace that he was going to inhabit. He learned what was going on, how the, the king's court worked. He, he was a musician, and he played, and he calmed Saul's heart. But after a while, Saul sent him back to his dad, and he went back to work in the shepherd fields. Fast forward now, Saul is empty. The king of the Philistines has now posed a threat against the children of Israel. Their armies are set in array, and David's three older brothers are in the army. And dad is wondering how they're doing. And whenever dad was wondering, he says, listen, take some loaves of bread, take 10 gallons of, of corn, parched corn, and take some cheeses and give it to some of the soldiers, uh, the, the captains of the, of the men, and go see how your brothers are doing and take their pledge. If they borrowed money from someone, pay off what they owe, because a lot of times the soldiers are dependent upon their own families to feed them. So David takes a carriage and all the stuff that dad sent with him and he leads his way over there. When he goes over there, he sees that there's something going on. For the last 40 days, a giant has been threatening the people of God. All the Philistines are on one side of the Valley of Elah and the, all the, the, the Israelites over here, they're all camped and they're looking at each other. But the Philistines have a huge warrior named Goliath. He's nine foot, six inches tall. He's huge. 
He's a man of war. His, his, his chest plate and all of his, his protected garments, according to the scriptures, weigh about 155 pounds. He's a massive man. He has a helmet. He has a guy in front of him that has a shield. And he's come out every day, morning and night. Eighty times he's come out and he is threatened. He says, look, give me a man to fight. If I win, then you serve us. If your guy wins, then we'll serve you. That was his, that was his, his, his dare. And he cursed the name of their gods according to his gods. And he, he was blasphemous. He was arrogant. He was a hard head. He was a warrior. He was strong. He was intimidating. The Bible tells us that people had fear in their hearts. The, the, the soldiers were scared to death. Saul, is he's the warrior, but he's scared to death too. He doesn't have God's presence on his life. Courage does not come because of who we, who we are, but who we know is with us. He didn't have God. I mean, he had a palace. He had money. He had all kinds of things, but he did not have God. And it made him, it made him very insecure. David comes up and he hears this foul-mouthed, blasphemous giant. And he leaves the carriage with another guy. He says, listen, take, take this donkey and this carriage over here and, and just, uh, we'll get this delivered in a minute. What is going on over here? And he hears him yell and holler. And he says, what should be done to the person that could take this guy down? Why are we putting up with this? And they said, well, man, if you could take him down, you would be enriched by the king. He'll give you a reward. And he said, he, he even give you his daughter to be married to. You can be the son-in-law of the king, and your dad won't have to pay taxes. That'd be good enough right there, right? Well, he heard that. He said, good night. That's awesome. But why, are we, why, why isn't someone taking him? Why isn't someone, how long is he doing this? Forty days. Why isn't someone doing something about this? His older brother, Abinadab, comes to him and says, he says, look, I know you, little brother. You did, you're, you're just coming over here to stick your nose in the battle. You just want to get all excited. You think you're going to play an army man all the time. Listen, who's taking care of the little sheep you watch? Get back home. I know how you are. And David heard that, and he embarrassed him in front of all the other men that were there. And David said, hang on a second. Is there not a cause? Isn't there a reason to fight? Isn't there a reason to stand? Isn't there a purpose? And um, Benadad laughed at him. He went around to other guys. Hey, don't you think there's a cause? Don't you think there's a cause? Isn't there something we could do to, to get this stopped? And God, God is bigger than him. He can do this. Plus, it's embarrassing. We're God's people. And God gave us a responsibility to let the whole world know about him. And we got one nine-foot, six-inch tall baluk up there. Flapping his soup coolers, yelling and blasphemous stuff. Let's take him down. He said, you think you can do it? He said, I think I can do it. Well, the Saul heard about there's a little cocky teenager that's interested. He brings him into the palace and said, hey, you got, you got something you want to say? He goes, you know, I think I can take this guy. And Saul said, no, you can't. That guy's been a warrior since he was a teenager, and you're but a youth. You can't take him. He said, no, a king, I beg to differ with you. I killed a lion one time. 
He said, I had a lion. He grabbed one of our lambs. I went to him. I tackled him. I pulled his, I pulled his chin, and, and uh, I pulled the lion out, and I slew him. I cut, cut his throat. He said, I did a bear that way, too. Because I've killed this lion, this bear, and I think I could take this guy. He said, you really think you can, huh? He said, yeah, I think I can. He said, well, okay, well, here's, my, here's all my uh, stuff. You know, here's my helmet, and here's my shield, and here's my, my breastplate, and here's the, the things that you strap onto your legs. And so they begin to put this stuff on him, and, Paul, and, and, and David said, I can't even move with this stuff. I don't know this stuff. I've never proven this stuff. I'm not this kind of a warrior, but I'm really good with a slingshot. He said, how about this? How about you take that off of me? Then his helmet's heavy anyway and all this stuff. I can't. I couldn't do this. And he was one of the bigger men in the country. Saul was. He said, let me just go down to the, the little creek. And he found five smooth stones. And he picked out five smooth stones and he put them in his bag on this. The Bible calls it a script. He puts it in his script and then he makes his way, and it looks like the Goliath is sitting on the side of the hill. He's got his shield man out in front of him. And as we read this morning, Brother David read with us, that he sees him and he says, Come on. You're, am I a dog? You've come to me with throwing little sticks or something? This guy's a teenager. He's a young pup. He's ruddy. He's just young. He can't do anything. And it looks like he stands up on the hill there, or the stool he's sitting on, or the rock he's sitting on. He said, get over here, I'll feed you to the birds. And while he stands up, David says something different. And look at it, if you would please, in the Bible, we're in 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're looking at verse number 45. Then David said to the Philistine, Thou comest me with a sword and a spear. And with a shield, because I see what you've got. You've got a sword, you've got a spear, and you've got a shield. But I come to thee in whom? Name of the Lord of hosts, the God of armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into my hand. I will smite thee and take thy head from thee. And I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day into the fowls of the airs and to the wild beasts. I'm not just going to feed you the birds. I'm going to feed the other, other guys behind you to the birds. And I want you to see, the, to see the cause. Can you read it with me? That all the earth may know. With a slingshot in his hand and a, and a rock, he says, here's why I'm standing here. Because I want the whole world to know that the real God is not David with a slingshot. It's not my king. It's not, the, it's not the armies here. It's the God of Israel. And everyone's going to hear about the story. You know, even people who don't even believe in God know the story of David and... That, that story has been told to multitude millions of people. And every time you can read it, you can read it right here in 1 Samuel chapter 17. It speaks of the greatness and the vastness of our God. God wants everybody to know about him. The nation of Israel has failed in that way. Jesus said he came into his own people, but his own, they didn't accept him. They received him not. So he opens up this new task to the local church, you and me. 
People who attend churches like this. God has given us the job to tell people in our neighborhood, in our workplaces, about Jesus Christ. To hand out gospel tracts and talk to folks about the Lord, encourage them to read what the Bible says, how they can have eternal life. And then to see that people can go around the world and hear the same thing. As you saw this morning on the video, a man in Taiwan walking around. Most of us will never put our feet in Taiwan. But we're there this morning. We're there and there's someone walking around with a backpack and gospel tracts. With his two little boys. With little Seth is there. And I know Seth. He'd run all over this auditorium when he was here before. And giving out little gospel tracts to people so that they can hear about Jesus. So that all the world could know about Christ. This morning, I'm going to start this tonight. I'll finish it. I'll finish this story and we'll talk about another topic next week. But I want you to notice a couple things. Number one, I want you to notice the goal. The goal that David had in his mind was that everybody in the world would know about the God of Israel. That's the cause. When he said, is there not a cause? He said, is it, is it, isn't there a reason to do something? And by the way, everybody needs to have that goal. Every young man in this room, every woman in this room, every child, every adult, every senior adult, every one of us ought to have a way in which we're getting the world the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've got two truck drivers here this morning. We're so glad to have them. They're here because people went yesterday. Brother David did, Brother Jim, Brother Troy, Miss Grace. They went to the truck stops and told people there's a service tomorrow. You can come and you can eat breakfast. Brother George Yoder makes breakfast and Miss Grace. They put the breakfast together and we invite the guys to come. We want them to come because they want them to enjoy the love of Christ and to get a good meal, but also they can hear more about Jesus. People rode buses this morning. I pulled out of my driveway about 6.30 and I saw several of our bus drivers come by in their cars going down to City Baptist and down here. As I pulled in, Mr. Bustos was pulling out with his bus at 6.30 this morning going to Chicago to pick up people in Northside Chicago and bring them to church. How many rode a bus this morning to church? Would you raise your hand? Many of you did. Across the street, our Spanish congregation, there's anywhere from 800 to 1,100 people in there, and many of them ride the bus from Chicago. You know why we do that? Not because we don't have anything else to do. It's because God so loved the world. And He wants the world to know about Jesus. Many people, they don't have a cause. There's a guy named Michael Letito. Michael Letito was a Frenchman, and he wanted to be known so he found a machine that would grind up metal and glass into small powder. And he would take some of that powder and he would put it in his cereal, in his oatmeal, in his food, on his lasagna. And eventually, Michael Letito wanted to put his name in the Guinness's World Book of Record for eating metal and glass. He was able to eat six chandeliers three bicycles, a grocery cart, and eventually a Cessna airplane. And his name is in the Greenest World Book of Records. That was his purpose in life. Now, most of us would say, that guy was crippled too high for crutches. That guy was a few french fries short of a Happy Meal. This fella, are you kidding me? He spent his whole life eating meadow and glass? That guy's the flower of his family. He's a blooming idiot. <laughs> You're crazy. 
What kind of purpose is that? I would agree with you. But what kind of purpose do you have? When your life is said and done, when you sign off on your final autobiography, what will your life say? Will there be people that don't know about Jesus? You may live and die in Highland, Indiana. You may live and die in the south side of Chicago. You may live and die in Calumet City or Hammond or Merrillville or Crown Point or Sherville or Dyer, St. John. But your life needs to matter for eternity. There is a cause. And that is that people would know about Jesus because of you and because of me. I want you to notice the second thing, not only the, the, the goal, but the giant. What stood between David and God's glory? What stood in front of him was a giant. This giant was big, and he was strong. Anybody who tries to do something for God, whether you're going across the street to give a track to somebody, or you're going to send money to the, to the Philippines, or to Taiwan, or to Brazil, or... Suriname or South Sudan or Ghana or Kenya, whatever you try to do for the Lord, let me just tell you, you've got some strong opposition standing between you and the glory of God. This giant was arrogant. He was loud. And every time he would say something, hundreds of other soldiers would say, yeah, whatever he said. <laughs> I'll feed you to the animals. I'll feed you to the birds. Yeah! Whatever he said, they said too, and they were loud voices. The enemies are blasphemous. Someone the other day, a politician reminded us again, he said, we would be good. We would have a good society if we could get rid of these Christians, these religious right-wing people. If we get rid of them, we could have a great society. That's his mentality. And they're loud and they're arrogant. They're intimidating. They're challenging. So everyone, when we're trying to get the gospel to the ends of the earth, whether individually or corporately as a church family, number one, we have a goal, and that is to get the gospel. Number two, we have a giant, and the giant is, is very intimidating. But I want you to notice not only the giant and the goal, but the guy. The whole story changes with two words, now David. Would you look at it? I want you to underline it in your Bibles. If you, don't, if you have a Bible, I want you to underline it. You'll see it there in uh, verse number 12. All the people were afraid, greatly afraid, verse 11. And I want you to look at the first two words of verse 12. What does it say? Now David. Everything changed on the hinges of one young man. One person. And I want to remind you, you may be the only person in the world, but you're the world to one person. Well, Pastor, I just run a business. God can use you. I'm on a fixed income. God can use you. I don't have the mobility I used to have. I used to be able to go here and there, and now I don't. God can use you. I'm just a teenager. God can use you. Everything changed with one one person, this guy, David. I'll talk to you more about tonight. I want to talk to you about two other things. I want you to talk about not only the guy, the God, and the group that followed him. 
It's a beautiful thing. And I want to just remind you, friend, God has something he's doing. And he wants to use you. He wants to use you. We're in the World Evangelism Month. We're considering together what God wants to do in our life to help pee at the gospel to someone else. We'll have a 365 days between this missions conference and next missions conference. We have something everybody can do. We can all pray. We can all go. We may not all go around the world. We can go across the street. And we can give. And a lot can change when one person decides they're going to do something about it. When I think about David, I think, first of all, he was, um, he was anointed. He knew God was with him. He wasn't all that in a bag of chips, but he knew God was with him. He was criticized and misunderstood. His own brother, what are you doing? All you came here just to get a little line. Like, get back and watch your little sheep someplace. He was criticized and embarrassed publicly. People who learn to give and get kind of a little bit crazy about getting the gospel out, they're misunderstood. The king, you're, you're, you're a teenager. You're but a youth. You can't do this. I'm sure as he put on that armor, probably Saul and others chuckled as they thought about how big it was on him. He thought he was just going to be lunch meat out there. The king made fun of him. The enemy made fun of him. He was anointed. He was criticized. But he was courageous. Not because of who he was, but who he knew was with him. Let me ask you something. Do you know God's with you? Do you feel his presence? Are you saved? If you are saved, do you, do you heed the impressions and the voice of the Lord in your heart? There's something special about that. There is a cause. The goal is that all the world may know. The giants, they're real. I face them, you face them. And the more you get into the Valley of Elah, the more they'll show up. The more you get into the finish, somebody says, oh, I have no problems in my life. You're not in the battle. <laughs> well, I don't have any problems. It's because you're not, you're, you're not trying to get someone the gospel. You try to do that, you're going to have some giants. But God can use you. Because God steps in where weakness shows up. If we have God's presence on our life.